a special edition of Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chickasaw native, your Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And what a treat we got today, because if you were like me and Mr. Briscoe, you burned up an eight-track playing slow ride over all nine minutes of it, over and over and over and over and over. Foghat Live multi-platinum album. They got a new album out. Uh, it's just come out. We've got the lead singer, Scott Holt, who has seven of his own albums. Listen to the uh, album last night. Incredible album. I don't know if it's blues. I don't know if it's rock. I know it's very, very good. We got Mr. Scott Holt with us. Scott, welcome to the show. Man, it's great to be here. Thank y'all for having me. Hey, Scott, man, well, welcome aboard here, man. Yeah, reading up, reading up on you, man. What an amazing career you had, and and, and man, we're we're just honored to have you here. We 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 were we're John and I were talking earlier, you know, about about old fog hat, you know, when when I was just started, I just started making some money of nineteen seventy two, and of course, first thing I did, I went out and bought my Mercedes convertible, nice, and it, and it did not have a good good stereo system in it, of course, back in those days, so. I went to I went and found me a, a good old eight track player and had it installed. Put the amplifiers in there, put the extra speakers in there. That I had a little convertible man that just vibrated with fog. And I want to make love to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I and you know coming home, you know we we were like we're like rock and rollers. We work at nighttime, right? So we were traveling on the road all the time. So I get I get loaded up. I, I get me a, back in those days. You could have a case of beer in the car and not get not get in trouble, you know. So that I I spit down some beer. I go through those little little towns in Carolina and crank that music up about two o'clock in the morning, keep awake, man. Fog hack kept me awake on many of those road trips. I got pulled. I can't tell you how many times I got pulled. I got pulled about five times in this one town. They 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 set their alarm clock by me coming through their town at night time. <laughs> but man, thanks thanks a lot. I know that was before your time, but Man, you must have hit the hit the jackpot right up right off the bat in your career. At 18 years old, you was working with Buddy Guy, one of the legends in the business. How did that happen? I got lucky, man. I I, I, I my dad hooked up an introduction to Buddy when I first started playing guitar, and um, I met him, saw him saw him play for the first time, and was just blown away, and and just instantly knew that I I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So. Uh, you know, he he took me under his wing. I don't know why he, he'd like me, but but we got along really good. And I spent 10 years with him, you know, learning the trade and, and learning what to do. And then was your dad a musician also? No, he was just a supportive, supportive dad. You know, oh, my, great, both great, my great. parents supported me. I, I, I used to say um, in interviews that if I'd wanted to be a porn star, they would have helped me to be the best porn star. <laughs> my, my mom doesn't like that joke at all. So I had to uh, but, uh, Funny how yeah, moms that don't find the guy humor real she funny. Didn't, she didn't think that was funny at all. And I was like, well, it's, it's you know, it's a metaphor, mom. She's like, no, no. <laughs> Use so, a different metaphor. <laughs> how did your dad know Buddy Guy? How did he arrange the meeting, uh, all of that? <laughs> He didn't know him. That was the funny thing about it. He he saw that Buddy and Junior Wells were coming to play in Tampa, and uh, he he found he found out that Buddy had a club in Chicago. He called the club. It was a former club, so Buddy didn't own it anymore. And the guy that owned it was just giving Buddy's home phone number out to people. So he gave him my dad gave my dad his phone number. He called him at home, and uh, he said, I, "I got a son that wants to learn how to play guitar, and he he'd like to meet you." And he goes, "Yeah, that's that's fine. Come to the show, and and we'll hook it up." So it was it was all just my dad's just you know he was just bold you know he didn't have any hesitation and stuff like that 
that, that, that that's a great dad, man. Just reach out there. You know, we we had we had Mickey Raphael on on the show there. You know, we're talking about the blues and everything, and you know, of course, that's 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 what you're you're noted for is the blues, and uh, right. And he, you know, and, you know how how did a white boy like you in Tennessee come up with those great blues licks like that? I mean, that that that's I phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I growing up in uh, where I grew up, I'm I'm about forty five miles south of Nashville, and I've lived here all my life basically. Um, raised our daughter here, got married here, and. Um, and so I'm in that confluence, you know, I got country music coming at me from right. the north. I got yeah. the blues coming from Memphis. I got New Orleans is south of me. So it's all like right yeah. here. And then when I got with Buddy, you know, for 10 years, I, I was just immersed in in all kinds of music. I mean, that it was funny because I, I joined the band thinking, well, it's just going to be a hardcore. Everybody listens to blues all the time. And that's all we're going to be hearing. It was nothing like that. No, none of them listened to the blues. They were all listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire and, and jazz and stuff like that. So I was getting immersed in everything. Buddy Guy was such a legend, or is such a legend. He's still alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he is, was he as big, like some guys, when you see him walk into a room, you know, this guy is somebody special. You know, mm -hmm. Buddy Guy, he was, I guess, discovered. He was, uh, his story's incredible. A janitor at LSU when he made his right. first album, then all of a sudden he ends up uh, going on tour. When you first met him, what was your impression of Buddy Guy? Was he that guy you look at and go, wow, that guy's a star? Or was he just a nice guy? What was your impression? Well, the, when I first met him was backstage at the show. So that's, you know, he was full-on Buddy Guy. It was He was a little bit intimidating to me because I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, when he, when he played... You know, he he jumped off the stage and he went out in the street and he had this long guitar chord and and I'd never seen anybody wow. do anything like that. So so the first meeting was was that it was meeting Mike Tyson right after he knocks somebody out. You're like whoa. <laughs> right. You know, the next day at at his hotel, he invited me to his hotel for a guitar lesson. The next day, and I went there, and he was just a really cool, nice guy. You know, I mean, he was he was just very. Um, you know, very friendly and just talk, talk. I mean, we spent four hours talking about guitars and the blues and Sonny Boy Williamson and Little Walter and um, and just uh, he was just giving me information, you know, and 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 it was just the kindness that that he it was genuine, you know. And, and what was it? Did you ever ask him what was it about you that he took you in? I mean, it was, I mean, here's this kid who was introduced by a father who was very persistent, who found his yeah. home phone number, who called him. And all of a sudden the next right. day he's giving him a guitar lesson. I mean, that doesn't normally happen with great big stars. I mean, it's, no, it doesn't. Big, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, it, I don't, I don't know why, you know, why we hit it off. I mean, we, we, we had similar backgrounds. I mean, he, he grew up on a farm. I grew up on a farm. So we had that in common. We were both from the South. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just, and we both love the same kinds of music. I mean, I, we would both get just as excited about an Earl Hooker guitar solo on a, on a Muddy Waters record. And, and th those were the things that he was listening to coming up. And, and that's what I was listening to coming up. So I, I think we just, you know, we had a lot of similarities. How, how long have you been playing when you, when you first walked into Muddy Guy's dressing room? Then? I had been playing about eight months, maybe. Eight months. Wow. Yeah. Did you have any skill? You must have had some skill for Buddy to pay attention to. You. No, I had I had determination and and yeah. time on my hands. So all I did was practice all the time. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first experience of touring? I mean, you know, it was you're you're you've ne you'd never tour. You'd never done anything like that, right? I mean, you hadn't even right. been in a band yet, and all of a sudden you're you're with the great Buddy Guy on tour. Yeah. Wow. I left home. I left home with a with a suitcase, a guitar, an amplifier, and a one way plane ticket to Chicago. I didn't know if I was ever even coming back home. 
I didn't know if I was getting paid. I didn't know how much I was getting paid. Didn't care. And uh, Buddy picked me up at the airport, took me to his house, cooked supper for me. Um, and then we he took me to the club, and I got in a van with a bunch of guys I'd never met, and we're headed to Canada. And, uh, wow. you know, the, the keyboard player who'd been around the block a few times was really nice, and he offered me the front seat of the van, you know, for this nice ride to Canada, which I thought, well, that's very kind. You know, it's an overnight trip to Canada, and I get to sit in the front seat, which is sitting straight up for eight hours. So <laughs> I learned real quick that, you know, you got to, you got to judge what's going on and, and figure out where you need to be. So, yeah, there's a few rules of the road that you, you got to abide by when, when you get with a group like that. It's the same with, with the racing, you know, they always set the rookies up in the front seat. You exactly. Know? <laughs> and you know what the biggest, the biggest similarity between rock and roll and wrestling is they're both full contact sports, you know, so you, you, you're, you're constantly engaged. <laughs> Mr. Briscoe, you know uh, Jim, the security, security guy from uh, down in Florida, right? Uh, you know, wonder, oh, wonder, yeah. Uh, yeah. His first day on the plane, there was Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, all, all these legends on the plane, and all he wants to do is disappear on ben, on Vince McMahon's plane. And I and, and so he gets on. Vince is out handling with the guys as he always did. And I say, Jim, that seat's always empty. Just sit there. Of course, it was <laughs> Vince McMahon's seat. <laughs> he got up. And I thought if he had a gun, he would shoot me right now. <laughs> to this day, it was 20 years ago. To this day, he reminds me of that like it was yesterday. It's it's the great ribs of uh, when you get the new guy on the road. It's it's sometimes it's a lot of fun. There's nothing like getting a new guy on the road just so you can uh, <laughs> abuse him. Where, did you know enough? I know we're 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 brutal with 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 our rookies. Are you guys the same? And when they come in, I mean, they are the rookies aside all the menial task and all the hard work you know um being being in the business as long as i've been in it you know in the early days yeah definitely it was it was brutal yeah. but now you know I've, I've got i've been the new guy so many times i, I have a lot more compassion <laughs> for the new guy oh now. yeah yeah <laughs> you get you get that after a while yeah, I mean, no don't do that to him, man. don't do that to him he's a nice guy <laughs> <laughs> did you know enough yeah. to be overwhelmed by all of that no, and that was the that was the real fortunate thing. And and every you know, I've I've had the opportunity to play with some real icons. I mean, Buddy Guy, Leo Lyons from ten years after played in my band for a while. Uh, Roger is you know the the drummer for Foghat for the entire history of the band. Um, and with Buddies especially, I was so young and so naive that it it you know the impact of it didn't really mean anything. Even when and people like Eric Clapton were coming to our show to wow. buddy shows and, and wanting to meet wow. buddy and talk to him. You know, I was, I was so green that I just, you know, okay, there Clapton's here. Cool. You know? And, uh, years after I left buddy years after I left buddy, it started hitting me. Wow. <laughs> you know, you were, you were standing on stage with, with an icon and that's, right. you know, then I would get nervous and start sweating and go get in the closet and hide for a little while. So. <laughs> and, and, and that's strange. You know, you think about afterthought, man, you do, but you know, John and I, we, we talked many times, you know, we, we both come up, he's a Texas boy and I'm an Oklahoma boy. We come up in the rural, rural areas there. You know, you're standing in, on the, in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden. You got all those banners above you. Most of all, you got fifteen to twenty thousand people screaming. All of a sudden, you think you look across the ring, and there's one of the icons of the business there. Did, yeah. did you ever get those feelings? You know, when you walk in, or, or, or Eric Clapton walked in. You know, nowadays, I mean, back then you were you were so young, you didn't know any better. But uh, nowadays, you know, 
man, how, how did I get here? Yeah. You know, what a feeling. I've had, I've had a lot of those, you know, pinch me moments, you know? Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, for every experience and opportunity I've had. I mean, I've, I've through the guitar, I've been able to meet all my heroes, you know, some of the most important people in my life, you know, some of my longest friendships are people that I met through music, you know, and, um, I'm grateful for, for all of it, but yeah, the, the older I get and the more miles I get on me, um, I'm, I'm trying to learn the art of, of taking it at that moment, you know, like when, when something is in, when you're in the moment, realizing how special it is, you know, because every time I well, get you, on stage could be the last time, so. Yeah, it could be, know. yeah. Well, what, what, what number of years you had now? I've been doing this probably 30 years now. Wow. Yeah, and at a high level too. Not at just a, well, I've uh, I've been I've been drug into some rarefied air. It wasn't it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't me doing it, you know. <laughs> you had the skill to get there. <laughs> you got to play with BB uh, King, also, right? Yeah, I got to play with BB. I got to I got to know John Lee Hooker, and I got to know wow. these guys as as people. You know, I mean, I didn't. It wasn't just meeting them through my record collection. Like like the only way I know Frank Sinatra is through my record collection. But I've I've been to John Lee Hooker's house and hung out with him. I've 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 spent a lot of time with BB King, Albert Collins. Um, these are people that that you know were mentors to me and and would talk to me and directly and say, hey Scott, you know whatever. BB um, King offered me some of his breakfast one morning at an airport, which horrified me. I was like, no no no, sir, you, that's your food, you eat it. <laughs> yeah, BB King and, and Albert were were the. The first blues concert I ever saw when I was a kid, I was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, going to Oklahoma State University. They come through town and they played at the student union there. And I think I was a, I was in between my senior year in high school, and I had to sneak in through the uh, through the balcony to get in. And one one of Albert's uh, people saw me coming in, and he kind of like you know, come over. And I thought, man, I've already get thrown out. I hadn't even heard the song yet. And he, he kind of laughed at me, kid, what's the matter? I said, man, I, I don't have money. I'm not old enough to be here. He said, go over and sit, stand up against the wall there. I'll keep an eye on you. I'll make sure you get to stay in it. I couldn't cool believe, I couldn't believe how dodgy eyes were. That is, that is cool. See, that's a cool story. Was there any commonality between all these guys about how they viewed music? I mean, some guys use music as an outlet. Some guys see music as an art. So, was there any commonality, let's say, that B.B. King and, and Buddy Guy and these incredible legends, how they viewed their music? That's a good question. I mean, it was just a part of them. You know, I mean, it, it just it was part of their identity and and it was as natural to them as, as you know, the kind of clothes they wore or, you know, I mean, what their drink of choice was. It, it was just a part of that whole thing and it just flowed together i mean um you know when, when i was around somebody like bb or, or 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 with buddy you know the conversation would flow from music to to women to cars to whatever you know but it, it was all like one common thread you know how would you define this album? Because I was listening to it last night. The album, by the way, is just excellent. Uh, Sonic Mojo is the name of the album for, the, for those out there listening. But uh, you have Driving On, which song, which is different from a little bit of everything. You know, and listen to some of it almost sounds like Jerry Lee Lewis part. Some of them, you know, and some of them sounds yeah. more like blues. How would you def define the music that, that the album is? Is there a genre that it fits into or does it fit into several? I think it, it it it's a celebration of American music, which is which is what Foghat's always been about. You know, if you go back and listen throughout the catalog, 
they've they've you know they built their career on the on the song books of Chuck Berry and Willie Dixon but they've you know they've dipped their toe into to all kinds of different American forms of music you know the, all that stuff came from America the blues jazz rock R&B and um with this album we've kind of we've done a sort of a full circle thing of celebrating all of it you know they there's songs on there by Chuck Berry there's songs on there by Muddy Waters and and Willie Dixon and uh, Hank Williams Hank Williams is is, yeah. is a big part of one of those songs on there and uh and Kim Simmons the founder of Savoy Brown wrote three of the songs on there with yeah. us um so and and Savoy Brown was the first band that Roger was in so that's that's it's all kind of full circle for this for this record and I'm I'm real proud of it I I think it's a good record I like it you know, yeah, the, you bring up Savoy Brown there. That you know, that, that's another. I had uh, he was part of my collection back in that Mercedes Benz days too. You know, <laughs> and I I couldn't understand. I left. I love big fan of Savoy Brown, and I, then I Fog had big fan of. I didn't realize I was listening to the same people. You know, back then we had no Google to find out. You know, who, who the band members. Right, were, right. There was so. no internet back yeah. then. So, yeah. You know. So, so here I, I, I was a big fan of the same guy, and so he must have made a big impression on me. Musical yeah. There you go. Yeah, it it was um. You know that's that's a funny thing too is is it, even in my age you know when when I started playing guitar there wasn't any YouTube or internet or yeah. computers or any of that stuff and uh, so when I talk to younger musicians than me and you know they they'll Google it and they've got the lick already and and yeah. for me it's like you know I, I didn't know what Jimi Hendrix looked like you know and he was he's my biggest hero and I and I it took me forever to find any kind of video of him to see him playing so. Um, it's it's a it's it's a weird transition from that era to this era. I'm still waiting on my Mercedes Benz era though. That's that's I have, <laughs> me too. I don't know how I missed it. I, I had one and I, and I learned my lesson right away. But I, I put two hundred thousand miles on that little car. That's how man. long I had, I had to have it, man. Well, what a fun of a little two seater. I tell you, it was great when making those little trips over to Myrtle Beach. So you know, as a single single young guy. Oh place. yeah, was <laughs> it a good time. Yes, sir. And like I said, you know, the 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 the, the, the uh, German people had crappy stereos back in the seventies and putting putting those cars. So you know, I, the first thing I turned turned that radio on, man, this just won't do, you know. So I the upgrade was coming, and that that was my that was my next week. Two paycheck was was the upgrade on my stereo, my Mercedes there. But well, I, I probably I've probably always spent way more on my sound systems than I have on <laughs> the mechanics of the car. Yeah, <laughs> oh, because back sure. then you you had to put the amplifier together, you had to get the oh, speakers, yeah. you had to get the stereo. It was it was like a real put the dilemma putting the entire system together. Exactly, exactly. It was it was a you know when I was in high school, man, that was you were constantly just thinking about what the next component was that had to go in your in your truck, you know. Yeah. That's right. Did you need an equalizer to go with the amplifier? Because they worked together. Had to have a graphic oh, yeah. EQ, you know, and, and yeah. all that stuff. Oh yeah. And of course, I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was going. To I didn't it. either. I didn't either. Usually, <laughs> usually, I had everything just dimed, so it was all just louder. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an incredible time in Memphis and Nashville. I mean, you're so lucky that you're a music guy that grew up in the the center of some of the greatest music ever being played. Right. What did those guys consider the music? I mean, you had the Highwaymen, you had Elvis, you had Jerry Lee, you had BB King, you had you had great blues guys, you had great rock guys, you had great country guys. Did any of them consider themselves one particular thing, or they just think I'm playing music? I think they just thought they're playing music. I mean, um, um, with Buddy especially, you know, 
I used to do a one time for a, for a joke. I, I played uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today on, on stage and he loved it. And he was like, from, from then on, when he would give me a song on stage, he was like, man, play that, play that country thing you play, that country and Western song you play. <laughs> That's great. I'm like, really, you want to do a George Jones song? But George Jones is one of the greatest blues singers to ever live. I mean, you know, that that's a that's a blues song, if there's ever that's a blues, a blues song. song. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's so much influence that's, that's a crossover between the groups. Uh, when you're sitting out and you're thinking of music, how does that process work? Because I, I love music and I can play, a, a, you know, what well, used to be the jukebox, now it's your iTunes. Uh, right. But I had no idea. How, nothing in me ever it comes into a song in my head that, that, organically. How right. does that happen in your head? Well, I, I'm. It's hard to talk about it, and and it's it's not. To, I'm trying not to sound too mystical about it, but it but it is really just a stream. And you, as a musician, you know, every once in a while, you you're lucky enough to get your finger into that stream and 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 catch something. And um, it could be a, a chord progression, or it could be a melody, or it could be a lyric that 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 sparks it, and then you're you're off. And um, you know, it's kind of like looking at the sun. You have to kind of look at it out of the side. You can't look at it dead on. So when you're chasing those songs, you just have to let them come to you. Um, and you know, I mean, if you, it's like a centipede, if you think about it too much, you know, how does he, how does he walk? If he thinks about it too much, he's going to fall over, you know? So, uh, you just have to kind of let the music come to your, I do, I can't write them on command. You know, I have to just wait for it to, to hit me. Now, now when you write something and, and, and you know, it, it's, do you know, it's spectacular. Do you know, it's going to be a hit or do you, you just have some, some swings of message right there? Well, Jerry, if I knew it was going to be a hit, I'd already had my Mercedes moment, you know. I don't intentionally write. Right, right now, I got me a 25-year-old truck sitting out in my garage right now. That's about 15 years old. My truck's about 15 years old. It's sitting out there. But, it, but, but it's a Jack Rouse special, though. It's well, a Jack so Rouse special. You, I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're doing all right with that. You're doing all right. Hey, to be fair, Scott, when Mr. Briscoe and his brother, Jack Briscoe, the famous Briscoe brothers, sold yeah. Georgia Championship Wrestling to Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon to this day said it's the only time he ever did a bad deal. So they, they that Mercedes was paid for many times by Mr. There Briscoe. you go. There you go. <laughs> to this day, Vince you, holds you, it against you, you, Mr. Yeah, even to this day, he still he'll still bring it up just out of the blue somewhere. And I tell him, well, if I'm Native American. I said, you know, Vince, it was just our our opportunity to get Manhattan back. You know, <laughs> every little bit we can get back. See, yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's a slow creep. You're just getting you some go. of it back, some of it back, some of it back. That's it. That's it. When when you're thinking of this music, uh, do you think about the lyrics, the words? When when does this all come together in your head? Well, I mean, it 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 just it's just an organic thing, you know. I mean, uh, sometimes, like I said, it's a, a lyric that'll come up first, or or, or an idea, you know. Um, I wrote a song one time called "Civil War," and 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 the idea was how when I started writing it was how easy it is to to wage wars. You don't really have to get dirty anymore. You can push a button and send a bunch of missiles somewhere and blow stuff up. And as I started writing the song, it changed into a, a song about divorce and a, and, a, and and a man and a woman trying to, you know, disengage uh, in a very uh, kind way in a civil way and uh, realizing that the heart's not like that. And, and, and I didn't, 
you know, I've never been divorced, so I didn't plan on writing a song about divorce, but it ended up being, you know, one of the one of the best songs I think I've ever written. And and are those words that you're writing, are you does it how does the music fit to that? Is it is it separate? No, I mean it it it, it the one will lead, kind of lead the other. Like if if you're if you're writing a song and you and you start with the music, you know, you you'll kind of start hearing phrases that'll that'll kind of fit with the music if you start with the lyric you kind of put the music to to flow with the the lyric so it's it's kind of a you know man it's 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 a little bit like cooking you know you 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 taste it and add a little salt or taste it and put some tabasco in it and you know get it where you get it where you need it you know yeah sorry I, i'm just uh, i'm not an artist the only thing i've ever drawn is unemployment so i'm not it's 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 I drew just a little so bit of that too that's right yeah in fact mr briscoe was the one that hired me back in 1995 he, to this day he still regrets it he apologizes regularly for for doing that you know you're always entitled to one mistake in your career you know and that, was, that was one of them. Well, i've used up several mistakes in my career so, I, so somebody well, i have two i have two brother Jerry Von Erich, the legendary Von Erich wrestler, told, used to tell me, he goes, I want to come back as a carpenter, and that way I can repair all the bridges I burned. <laughs> That's awesome. Wrestlers are notorious for playing tricks on each other. You know, it's, even the big guys, they like Big Show and, and Andre, you know, they, they are, people were playing tricks. You guys, you guys, play tricks on the young guys like well we call them ribs you pull ribs on on, on the on the young guys and the good band or yeah. time change or time change so it's the same way in the wrestling business where they don't do it anymore that's a, that's yeah. a lost art <laughs> i think it is a lost art it is a lost art it, it's kind of you know the 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 ribbon that we do now is is pretty gentle compared to to what yeah. i experienced when i was first starting out um yeah. but yeah it's it's uh you know i think everybody's kind of <laughs> everybody's been been the new guy so they, they're kind of more polite to the new guys these days yeah it's kind of neat to call them ribs back in the day we would call them felonies <laughs> <laughs> some of them were so bad you yeah. tell people about it now and i know you had the same thing you know you tell people some of your road stories now and people are like they just look at you and they don't believe you thought i'm not lying it's yeah. i'm not actually telling you the worst part I go, well, when you're on the when you're on the road you know there, there's a lot of downtime you know, you think about it, you're as, as, as I know, as a wrestler, but as a musician too, you know, your, your, your show is only like an hour, hour and a half. The rest of the time is, is waiting. So, uh, sure. you know, there's, there's all musicians always choose their, their, their poison. What's, what's going to occupy my time. You know, fortunately for me, it was, it was staying in my hotel room and playing my guitar, which kept me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> But uh, you know, some some of the other guys they thought up other diabolical ways to. <laughs> well, the problem is you've got really creative guys who've got excess money, who've got star <laughs> power, who can get away with a lot of things they probably shouldn't get away with. And there was nothing else to do back then. There was right. no internet. There were no cell phones. There was no video game. You, you, you just it was left to your own devices, which was a terrible thing for a creative exactly. guy with access to money and fame. Exactly. More money than sense. That's, that's, you know, <laughs> exactly. The, the touring, the, the touring that you did, what was like the most touring that you did during this time? Like say, say, say the buddy guy, or even it, now you guys are starting to tour again. Were you on the road for say a month at a time? What was the, what was the tour schedule like? When I was with buddy, I think the longest time we were on the road in a straight stretch was like six weeks. 
and and for me that that I started hitting the wall after about week four. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like, I'm I'm this I'm ready to go home now. And We're just I, getting towed up at week four. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, musically it's getting better, but psychologically it's getting like you know. And we would, you know, usually that was in Europe where we'd be out for a really long time. So you're changing countries every day. You're changing money every day. You know, your your time zones are different. The languages are different. The food's different. You you know, and 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 at first it's all real cool, but then about week four, week five, you know, you've had to. You want to go home? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but. Um, with uh with fog hat you know it's usually um it's usually weekends i mean we we'll do like three maybe three shows in a row maybe um and and that's a, a pretty pretty nice way to travel you know we're not really out for real long stretches of time you know i i'm i'm, I'm not coming home as a stranger to my wife and my daughter you know they they still remember me and um so it's it's a it's a real good season Yeah, that, that's 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 go ahead john go ahead jerry i'm sorry my, my go, go ahead okay that, that that's all oh that was always an issue with, with wrestling you know i mean even when i when i very first started you know we go to japan and that was a that was kind of an honor to go to japan but nowadays they go over they're over there two two days three days at max and they're back you know back right. back when 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 john and i were it, it was a, my first tour was a six-week tour Man, I'm in Japan? rural Oklahoma. I, ne I yeah, in Japan. I'd never been away from home in all my life. My, you know, I wrestled in Oklahoma State. My big trip was going to Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, for a wrestling right. bill, you know. And now all of a sudden, I'm 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 in, in, a, in an airplane head in Japan for six weeks, man. The first week oh. is just all new, you know. Every year, just wow, this is cool. This is cool. Second week, it's still cool. Third week, oh man, I'm ready to fourth. About that fourth or fifth <laughs> week, man, you're miserable. You made everybody around you miserable, and they're miserable. They <laughs> yeah, want to go yeah, home. Too. Yeah, yeah, everybody's because mad. if you're miserable, because if you're miserable, you got to make everybody else miserable. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got an unhappy person on the road, man. It's it's bad for everybody. Nobody. Yeah, we it. used to go to all the islands in Japan. We travel all over the bullet train, buses. We were over there a long time, and that's when there wasn't a lot of American. Uh, say influence restaurants anything right. outside right. Yeah. of tokyo well you know i went to i was in japan back in the 90s with buddy and um yeah i mean it was you know and we were you know pretty much the ugly americans i mean we were pretty much kentucky fried chicken and 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 mcdonald's you know when we yeah. could find it and uh you know i kind of regret that I, I hope to go back to japan because I'd, I'd like to kind of <laughs> engage with Make amends, uh. yeah exactly. and, uh, of course we're punky rebuild that bridge <laughs> Of course, the Rapungi with Hard Rock Cafe. Every American has to go down there. Uh, oh yeah, we did that. We were we were merciless with the Hard Rocks. You know that was that was you know you, if you could get a good cheeseburger, you were you were in high cotton, man. You were you were doing something. I, I was listening to a podcast you did talking about Japan, how the Japanese fans would know all the lyrics to your songs. Yeah, they would sing. Amazing. J Japanese audiences. I remember being on on stage waiting to go on in Japan, and, and they've got a curtain, so the curtains closed. And it's dead quiet. And I'm like, well, when are they going to let the people in? They go, oh, they're, they're in. Well, it, what is it, like two people? Go, no, no, it's sold out. It's full. Pull the curtain back. Sure enough, full room. We would play the song, and then they would go bananas. And then they would stop. And while we're playing, they didn't make any sound at all. It was, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And they would sing the words back to you, you know, in English, you know. Yeah. Which, they could do flawlessly and and you know i couldn't say hello in japan you know in japanese so 
That, we that, was one of the frustrating, was... that was one of the frustrating things about being a wrestler over there. You know, that audience, they were so polite, you know, but they would, like you said, it was scary because they, they would say a damn word. You, you'd, do, you'd do a big move and then, okay, okay, what's next? You know, then, then, then after you told <laughs> yeah. them the story a little bit and they got into it, they'd start reacting, but you had, they had to get into your story before they reacted. They, they, right. they were... They're a great audience, but but they were intimidating as hell because you didn't know how to get them to respond. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> At least yeah, in our in our field, it was well. That's I think it's true in everything. That, that was a real cultural, you know, difference. Is is you you gotta you gotta figure out how to get them going, and and you know, I mean, and you know, we're both in the entertainment business. You know, your audience is is that's who you're working for, and and you know what you you know your bag of tricks on how you get them going. You know, if you get in a situation where your bag of tricks ain't working, it's it can yeah, make you kind of nervous. <laughs> Talk about the bag of tricks in the live audience. I like I love the art of being able to perform in front of a live audience. And I don't care what the medium is that they get you there, the carrot that gets the people in the crowd, but the art of being in front of, of a live crowd, you have a little different perspective. You were talking about in one of the podcasts I listened to about what well, how you view it. And how say maybe Foghat views it is you enjoy engaging with the audience more, talking with the audience more than just yeah. playing the, the catalog. Now is well, I was wondering I, also is, is that just because maybe Foghat has you know you got all of these albums, you know so, so many albums. It's hard to get you know when when your main song is nine minutes, it's hard to get all that catalog in there. Exactly. What is your view? Tell tell me about how you perceive going out in front of a live crowd. Well, you know, to me, and this is something else I learned from Buddy. It, it's about entertaining. You know, I mean, you 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 want the you want the audience to be glad that they're there, and you want them leaving saying, "I want to come back and see this again. I want to experience this again. This this, and I want to bring my friends with me. This made me happy." And um, you know, you do that by 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 interacting with the audience and getting them to be a part of it. You know, um, and that's the way Buddy always has done it, and 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 I learned that from him. Um, with Foghat, you know, sometimes I get in trouble because they have a bunch of songs and, and some of them are kind of long and, 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 uh, you know, I, if I get to talking too much, you know, it, it runs us, our curfew gets, it's in jeopardy. So, uh, uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's just the way I've, I've always done it. I mean, it's, it's the audience is part of the deal. It's not, it's not us playing to them. It's, it's us playing with them, you know, is there any are there any signals? The, <laughs> the, the <laughs> uh, I've had I've had Roger kick the kick the song off in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, I, I I really love you know like like our tag team, the band up there. Are, we're like we're like a band, you know, with, with four of us in a ring, you know, and, and you kind of take cues from each other. And you're watching your music. Your music is so tight. And we asked Mickey, Mickey, the same question: What, 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 what constitute? I mean, who, who's your leader? And I, 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 I listened to a podcast. And you said, Roger, the drummer. I, I watch when the sticks are up. I know yeah. it's time for me to hit. Exactly. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Well, he's the, you know, he's the quarterback of the of the team. I mean, he, you know, especially on Slow Ride. You know, that's that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. The way that that song starts off you know, it's, it's him starting it, and then I'm the very next thing that comes in. And if I come in wrong, it, it destroys everything. And I've, and I've come in wrong before and it destroyed everything. <laughs> horrifying experience. What a feeling. Huh? Oh man. It was like, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, uh, 
he's the he's the leader and he sets the pace and then and then it's up to us to just you know make sure we're we're on hitting on all cylinders the video that you had well, i think one of uh, maybe driving on was it just and i mean this in, in a compliment and because i'm the same age it's just a bunch of old cool dudes rocking you know, and it just, <laughs> it's just fun to watch because and it, I'm so glad I've got to watch the video because I get to see you guys just sit. It's just, it's just awesome to see old cool dudes rocking. Are you guys having as much fun as you look like you're having? More, more. more. Man, okay. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't show all your fun because you, you won't be able to do what you're supposed to be doing. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the nice thing about this band is that we, we genuinely love each other. We genuinely are having a ball. You know, I tell the audience every night, ask them if they've had a good time. And then I tell them, I promise you, we've had a better time than you've had. Um, you know, I mean, we, 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 we travel together, you know, on, on off nights, we, we get together and go to dinner and break bread and, and hang out and laugh. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, I, I, there's just not anything bad about this, that this band or this situation for me anyway. You know, they, they may have some different comments, but I'm <laughs> having a hell of a time. <laughs> yeah, you were buddy, what, 14 years, something like that, right? 10 years, yeah. I was the, with them the 10 years. years. And the transition from, from Buddy to uh, to Fogat, I know you were filling in for a couple of guys that were mm -hmm. were, were uh, had some illnesses with Fogat and finally uh, replaced one of them. How, how did all that happen? I mean, were you, how did, were you friends, good friends, obviously, with, with Fogat before that or what? We had a mutual friend. Um, they were looking for like an understudy for everybody in the band. You know, they wanted a, a backup. Which case. is smart. Which is smart. Well, yeah, especially when you, you know, you start getting a little older and, and yeah. you know, things start falling off and, you know, you have to have to get them put back on. And yeah. um, So so our mutual friend introduced me to Roger as a potential understudy for Charlie, the singer at the time. And so we got together and we just hit it off, man. We 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 both loved Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis, and and we started playing songs together, and almost immediately started writing songs together, and uh, just got on, just made we we just liked each other, and um, so I just kind of stayed around the camp, you know. I, when they got ready to do their next record, which was Under the Influence, um, they needed about three more songs for the record. We ended up writing seventeen. So we put together another band and and put another album out called Earl and the Agitators, and um, just you know just kept kept hanging around and kept doing stuff. So I was in Florida, uh, at their studio writing for this record, but for Charlie to sing it. And um, while we were down there, you know he he decided that he was going to retire, and um, you know we just pivoted and said, well, okay, you want to you want to sing? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, they let me bump my head and skin my knees for a while and then i finally figured out you know where i fit into the thing and and so hopefully knock on wood they're happy um i'm happy so you know well you've got a number one album uh yeah mr briscoe and i both listened to it last night just freaking it's just excellent it's just awesome. so Thank much you. fun to, to listen to uh how has your sound changed from you being the front man to fog hats, say back from the seventies and eighties, the, the, the fog hat that, that Mr. Briscoe played on the eight track in his Mercedes. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously I don't sound anything like Dave, um, who was the original lead singer. Um, and I don't play guitar like Dave. Um, and Brian really doesn't play guitar like Rod. Um, you know, we, we're, when you have a band, um, you can't unplug one 
component of the band and plug something else in and have it be the same. It just, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's more like a, a, a marriage or a relationship. You know, you, 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 there's different nuances and you, and you move in different ways. Um, I'm sure it's the same. Like if you're a tag team wrestling, you know, if you're, if you're used to one partner and all of a sudden you, you're with somebody else and now you're trying to figure out, you know, somebody's going to get an elbow in the nose accidentally, I guess, but <laughs> you don't, you didn't duck right. at the right spot. Right. Our um, own purpose. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, so in a band and, and that was one of the first things I had to figure out was, you know, cause you got, you got to stay in your lane. Um, you know, somebody comes to a show, they want to hear slow ride. That sounds like slow ride. That sure. sounds like they heard it on the, on the radio when they were a kid. And so you got to figure out, okay, I got to do that, but I've also got to be me and I've got to figure out where, where those two things, you know, exist together. And, and that's kind of the, the challenge, but it's also the, the fun of it, you know, is, is, is learning these new spots about where, you know, what I can do that's, that's natural to me and still support the fog hat. I saw an interview you did where you talk about your first time with fog hat when you're the lead man and it, and it didn't go as well as you wanted it to. And you, yeah, I was being kind. Your words were much worse than I'm sure it was actually much better than what you thought. It was. Oh, but then you immersed yourself in Fog Hat and became, you know, now that you got this number one album, were you worried at the time that, uh oh, this may not be a fit? Yeah, I was. I mean, the, the first gig that I played, I filled in for Charlie on a gig. And that was horrible. That was where I, I wrecked Slow Ride. And, and you know, we had to stop and start it over, which is a musician. <laughs> you never want to do wow. But then when, uh, you, when you stopped and started over, you're like, oh, oh dude, that whole show was a nightmare for me. I mean, first of all, you know, we, we don't drink before we play, which was the exact opposite of, of when I was with Buddy. You know, we always took a shot before we hit the stage. <laughs> right. So so you get on the stage and, and you I've got cotton mouth. And I've got all these cues and things that I've got to try to remember to hit. I've got these rhythm parts and I've also got to sing. And I've got all these words I got to remember. And so, yeah, that, the first one was just a nightmare. But then you fast forward to to the the when Charlie retired and, and they said, OK, we've got gigs coming up in two weeks. Let's put the album on the shelf for a minute and let's work on the, the set for for these shows we got coming up. And we did our first rehearsal. And it was horrible. I mean, I hadn't, cause I hadn't played a fog hat song in, you know, two years since that, that last gig, you know, I'd been working on my own music and doing other stuff. And um, we played, you know, for about two hours and, and, and it was pretty quiet when the, when the, when the last thing died out, everybody was kind of like, Oh man. Everybody feels that right. Everybody knows it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but, but everybody kind of knew who was, who was the, who was yeah. the link, you know? Yeah. So it was making it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I so I just said, okay, you know, I kind of talked to myself and I said, all right, you're gonna you're gonna do this. You're gonna have to dig deep. So I just yeah, I just immersed myself in everything fog hat and 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 dug hard. And the next day was a little bit better. And the next day was a little bit better. And we hit the road and all that first year, every night I I felt a little more comfortable, it got a little bit better, a little bit easier. Um, and and now I, it's a lot more natural to me. Um, there's still nights when, when, you know, I, I catch myself going, okay, is this, this next part's coming up, it's coming up, you know, and, and, um, but it's, it's less that now and more just excited and happy to be playing with my friends. Did you ever talk to the other band members about that, those first couple sessions? Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, they knew what I was going through and, and, and as a musician, you know, everybody's been through it. You know, they're, you're, you're, you're never the, the number one guy in every situation. You're always, you're always on the bottom at some point. 
And, um, you know, it, 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 it's just, uh, it's an unpleasant place to be, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was with way, way better, way better. Oh man. I was with a group of guys that were very patient and, 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 you know, very supportive. I mean, they, you know, Rodney and, and I would, Rodney's the bass player. He would, he and I would sit together and he would, he would help me, you know, talk about phrasing of the vocals and stuff. Cause he's, he's really up on all the fog hat catalog. Um, and Brian, the, the other guitar player, you know, we would sit together and, and talk about, you know, which parts go where and, and who plays what. And, and, uh, even now on stage, you know, sometimes he'll give me a look like, okay, this is your spot coming up and then, you know, and, uh, so it, and they've all just been really kind to me and, 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 you know, let me find my foot. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a real, real good journey. Well, I'll say it's got to be a thrill. I mean, what two years now, and you guys, you guys got your first number one chart album, right? Yeah. And what a feeling that! I mean, what? Tell us the reaction when that thing hit number one. Well, I was, I, I knew it was going to be number one, and I told them that while we were recording it, and I told them that when we, when we, when we got done recording it, and I told them that when they, when they put the record out, I said it's going to be number one, and they all kind of went, oh yeah, 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 okay. And so the the day that, that the Billboard chart came out and it was number one, I got to say, I told you so. <laughs> it's funny. I was in uh, I was in Europe one time with uh, Mr. Briscoe was there. I was with the uh, Wrestling Undertaker, and he, he's one of the greatest of all time. And the match just didn't work. I mean, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And when he when it came back, Undertaker looked at me and goes, "Well, that didn't work. <laughs> that was bad." <laughs> and after the years, he like said, "They're going." I don't know what happened. It worked the night before. It worked the next night. Do you get that sometimes when you're out performing? I know you do. Like sometimes yeah. you play, people think you can just play the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes it just hits. And when it hits, it's magical. And that's what you live for. It's like the straight line drug, you know, in, in your arm. It's, but it's magical. But sometimes I thought you weren't an artist. It work. <laughs> I thought you weren't an artist. You just described art to me in, in, in three sentences. That's exactly what it's like. On a, on a good night, it's like hitting the main line, man. It's it's there's nothing better, nothing better, nothing hey, better. Hey, you're yeah, right. That's and, right. And like, it's just and like and like John says, you know, you you could you could be as good as you can for two nights in a row, but one night that audience just didn't buy it. And you you just got to keep digging and digging and digging. Yeah. You know we got we got to say, you know what happens in in Tampa is not going to work in in Atlanta. You know and. Uh, <laughs> And then you guys, you guys run through the same thing there in your business. Some nights, man, you just, you know, it, it, whatever. I think it's just the universe kind of pulling you back. It, it doesn't want you to <laughs> That's get right. big head. Yeah. You know? But so, yeah, some nights, you know, you you hit a, a a situation where you know you're you're not connecting with the audience for whatever reason, you know, whether it's whether it's just the way you're doing it or what. But, um, and you know, you 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 just knuckle down and get through that and try to try to do the best you can fortunately those nights don't, aren't aren't the rule they're usually the exception that's right, what right. makes them stick out more you know because you when you have a yeah. night like that where it's just kind of weird um you know you just go back to the dressing room and go what the hell was that you know? yeah, what, what, what was i doing after that i didn't do last night <laughs> exactly exactly and, yeah. and is it not just the greatest feeling in the world i mean it's just when, when you when you sit there and you think and i know you've had this moment on stage where you think oh my god i've got them i've yeah got them. And yeah. you, you know, it just, if I just don't screw this up, this is going to be magic. <laughs> and if you do, if you think that you're going to screw it up. That's you right. Gotta, that's right. Keep right. Going. Just, just, just keep doing it and just keep enjoying it and, and, and then brag about it afterwards. That's, that's yeah. the trick, you know, how much touring now are you doing with a uh, fog hat? We're doing probably 
about 70 dates a year. Um, it's, you know, usually, like I said, it's usually weekends, usually two, three days out. Um, and you know, that's, that's a good, good pace. I mean, I'm, I, I'm the young guy, so I'm always the one going, you know, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm just appreciative that we're, that we're out there when we are. Yeah, I heard on a podcast too, Scott, that that, that you're also a businessman. That you you've got a record shop. Is that record shop still going? Tell us a little bit about that. I've got a record store in Columbia, Tennessee, called Variety Records, and I am absolutely not a businessman. Uh, <laughs> I, the only the only smart thing I did with the record store, I, I got a partner. Me and him are partners in it. But the only smart thing we did was we hired a really really good guy to run the place for us, and he knows more about record stores than I'll ever know. And all I do is go in and say hi to him and leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. That, well, that makes you a good businessman right That's there. That's exactly right. <laughs> I know I know enough about business to know I don't know anything about business. Now, do, do musicians stop in and you guys jam in, in that place too? Like it's kind of yeah. like the old Ernest Sub record shop down on 16th Avenue. <laughs> well, you know, well, the funny thing about it, the the store that I own was originally Ernest Tub Records number wow. two. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, the the lady bought it from from them, whoever was running Ernest Tubb Records. I don't know if it was Ernest Tubb, and uh, she she had the the record store from the like 1969, I think was was when she started it, and um, and so yeah, when when we took it over, uh, the first thing we did was we had a, a a Bobby Rush show in there. We had the great blues man Bobby Rush came and did a solo performance. I've played in there a bunch of times. Foghats played in there. Um, at the time it was Earl and the Agitators because I was singing, but but now technically it was a fog hat show. So uh so yeah, we have live music in there and and uh it's just a you know, it's a little bitty space. It's a, it's 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 not a real big store, but but it, it's it's funky and 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 welcoming and and uh it's it's you know just full of love and happiness. Speaking of business, uh, how has the business changed uh, of records? I mean, obviously, it's changed dramatically with iTunes, with how it's distributed. You know, content, obviously, is still king, but how it gets distributed has changed dramatically. How right. has the, the metrics changed? Not necessarily the quantity of money, uh, but how? where do you get most of your money now as a musician? Is it from touring? Is it from record sales? Is it from iTunes? How does that change? I think, well, I mean, from my standpoint, it's always been your your primary source of money was touring. You know, I mean, I, I never made much off of records. Um, you made the records as promotion for, for the touring. Um, and the delivery system of music has gotten so, so lopsided now, um, you know, with streaming and stuff like that, where the, where the, 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 amount of money that the the percentage that the artist receives from something like streaming is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, you know, subdivided pennies and, and that's, you know, that's kind of crazy, but um, you know, not to get too, too down, but the, the, the long-term effects of this, I think is that it's, it's sort of trained the public to think of music as something that should be free and, 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 you know, that, that it does, and that devalues it, which, which to me, I think is going to be a long-term um, damaging thing to the art form. I think that, uh, you know, if, if, if you don't think something's worth anything, um, you know, you, you, you kind of don't respect it, you know? And, and I think that's a, 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 a sad trend that, that I hope gets turned around because everything goes in cycles. So, you know, hopefully this will too. I mean, vinyls come back, you know, rec albums have come back. Um, you know, we went through the, 
the eight tracks and the cassettes and the CDs and the, and the MP3s. And, and now people are putting an album on and going, Whoa, this sounds way better. And it's, and it does, you know, but, uh, but you can't carry albums with you on the road. Yeah. So, you know, it's nice to have both. Yeah. <laughs> so when you put a song out, do you put it out by album and then you put it also out on iTunes or, or do you differentiate? Some guys have stayed away from iTunes. How, how do you guys put it out? We, it pretty much hits all platforms. I mean, with this record in particular, I know that we we released singles in anticipation of the record. We we released three singles before we put the album out, and then um, you know it was it was it's on all the streaming services. It's on iTunes, um, uh, you know, and 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 the physical copies are available too. You know, on Amazon or Foghat.com or wherever you buy music from. Um, and so you you know you try to you try to reach as many people as you can. I mean, you know the 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 um i hesitate to say the older fog hat fans are probably more interested in the physical you know the cd or the album uh but the the kids that would be me and mr briscoe that was oh, a kind, you know, of, it's, it's, it's a kind exactly way of saying it. us it's me too it's me too <laughs> but like my daughter you know she's she's 23 uh and she's listening to us on spotify so so it 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 you know it's you you try to reach everybody you know yeah, so when you when you it, it seems really difficult now when when you get a top album number one album like you guys have now, it, it seems like it's a lot harder these days to get to get a number one selling album than it was say 10, 15 years ago. Is that true? It's hard. It's hard to get anybody to hear your album. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it on a chart. You know, yeah. I mean, because everybody. I mean, you know, everybody can make a record now. It's it's it. The technology is is. I'm talking to you guys on a on a laptop that I could do an album sitting here, you know I mean? Right. And, and, and distribute it worldwide myself, you know, nobody would ever hear it, but I'm just saying it, it's, it's the possibility. What are you saying? John and I don't sell. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey, let's try it. Let's he he it said right I now. could do it with you guys and nobody would hear it. He didn't say doing it alone. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you just, you try to reach everybody and, 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 um, there's a lot of white noise, you know, there's a lot of, lot of music out there, a lot of content out there. And so those things, they marry up the, 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 the decrease in the respect for the art form coupled with the fact that everybody's doing it, you know, and, 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 you know, you got, I don't know, man, I could get into a whole long thing about, <laughs> about that, but, but the, the, the bottom line is, you know, we make music because we're musicians and it's what we do. And and we're gonna do that no matter what the what the business side of things has to say about it, you know. Did did, did you write the write the song about Hank Williams on on the Sonic Mojo? No, that was at well co-wrote it. That was actually uh, uh, Roger's brother, uh, Colin Earl, uh, who was in a, a band called Mungo Jerry back in the, the Mungo Jerry. I yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> so um, so he had this he had these lyrics, and um. Roger gave them to me and said, well, you know, let's, let's try to do something with this. And and so we kind of pushed them around a little bit and made it sort of, you know, have some rhythm right. to it. And, 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 uh, and, you know, it was cool to write a, write a song. It was kind of nodding towards Hank Williams. I'm a big Hank Williams fan. So it was, yeah. it was cool yeah. to yeah. do that. Good Lord. Who is it? I mean, yeah. I, mean really, it's, it's, I don't it's trust him. If they ain't. He's one of those guys, you know, that's almost, uh, you know, safe to uh, like Hank Williams. Everybody like, okay, that's fine. It, yeah. it, it, it was some guys you say you like them and there's always some detractor about it, but Hank Williams, one of those guys who's been around, you know, 
if, if you're around long enough, people start people start just liking you because you're around for so long. Well, you know, I mean, Hank Jr. had a had a great song called "If You Don't Like Hank Williams, You Can Kiss My Ass." Kiss my ass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to scream that one up and down the road too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about Foghat, by the way. <laughs> Uh, I love the fall gap man. Thank goodness. There you go. There you go. I right, well, Scott, we kept you for an hour. I, I can't thank you enough. I've I've had so much fun the last couple of days getting ready for this interview, listening to all your music and everything that's going on. It's just you have such an incredible story and such an incredible catalog of music that uh, this has been a lot of fun. So I know you're busy. I know you got touring and stuff coming up. But thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Man, it's been an absolute ball. I really appreciate This has been the most fun interview I've done so far, and I really appreciate it. Thank it's been you. great meeting you guys. Thanks, thanks a lot. I hope to run into you somewhere down the line here. We absolutely. Will. Absolutely. Let's make that happen.